Hello friends, this is Zanship, as real life, patent pending, has been busy. I've been finding it very hard to carve out long enough time to do what I want to with Snape. So for right now we're going to do another chapter, another chapter of Power and Paradox, but I'm probably going to switch Snape to 40 minutes at a time rather than an hour plus recording. And just do like 30 minute segments because my goodness it's long. Anyways, on to the story. Power and Paradox, Chapter 14. Notes. That which yields, my brilliant beta, suggests that I warn you for spoilers for The Hobbit. If you haven't read the book, and if not, go read it, it's great. You're all wonderful. Please accept this longer than usual chapter as a humble offering of thanks. Tony was sorely tempted to avoid Rogers after the guilty omelette incident, but he found he was unwilling to cut himself off from time with the team. Or, rather, Bruce and Clint. Natasha he wouldn't mind avoiding, he thought. So when Clint stampeded into his workshop the next day, calling out that they were showing Rogers Terminator 2 come quick, Tony ordered another pizza and came up to the common room. Rogers actually asked Tony if the seat next to him was taken before sitting down, the usual distance apart. As surreptitiously as he could, Tony watched Rogers watch the movie. Things were back to normal, whatever normal was, living in a tower with a defrosted super-soldier, two ninjas, and the not-so-jolly green giant. Things were fine. Sir, Captain Rogers would like to meet with you, Jarvis announced, turning down ACDC to be heard. He asks when it might be convenient. The water of nerves Tony felt at that simple request was absurd. Tony set down his welding torch. What's on my calendar today, Jarvis? You have a conference call with the CFO of the Foundation in half an hour, as I've already mentioned. Thrice. Right. And after that? Your calendar is clear until tomorrow afternoon. Tony frowned. He hated to leave the meeting with Rogers hanging over his head, but he couldn't blow off the foundation. Isaac would shit a brick. Set the meeting with Rogers immediately post-conference call, okay, Jay? Of course, sir. A pause. Shall I call up the documents Mr. Greenblatt sent for you? Yeah, hit me, Jay. Let's see what Isaac's got. Kathy Dworkin had given Tony shit about appointing a Dom CFO of a Submissives Advocacy Foundation, but he'd shrugged it off. Isaac Greenblatt was the best in the industry, and if he wanted to give up a vast salary as CFO at Goldman Sachs to join the fight against orientationism, then Tony said let him. Tony'd never met a more ardent liberationist. Tony sometimes suspected that Isaac despised his fellow doms on principle, or at least mistrusted them. After what had happened to his baby sister, though, Tony could hardly blame him. Isaac had left Goldman Sachs for the foundation two days after her funeral, Tony thought. Over the years, Tony'd felt the occasional pang of regret that Isaac, like Rhodey, only dated women. Tony reluctantly turned his attention from engineering to fiscal calculations. 2004, on the red carpet of the gala for the Submissives Opportunity Fund. Paparazzo, breaking onto the red carpet and shoving a microphone in Stark's face. Mr. Stark! Mr. Stark! You claim you're committed to equality, so why does your scholarship fund discriminate against doms? Listen, sweetheart, when you're giving away $30 million, you can bestow scholarships on whoever the fuck you want, okay? I'm the one giving my money away, so I don't see what right anybody has to complain. But hey, since you ask, targeting submissives for scholarships is promoting equality. In the sciences especially, orientation inequality is most radical, and I oughta know! There's institutionalized, ingrained, and even unconscious discrimination against submissives in the hard sciences. By giving subs access to scholarships and mentoring, I'm seeking to level the playing field. The goal is equality, and I'm targeting the people still struggling to get it. But hey! Sorry if doms are feeling a little excluded. Welcome to our fucking world! Tony's call with Isaac and his team went well. It had been a good quarter for the Foundation's investments. The dividends would be enough to fund the renovations needed at the submissive safe house. 
When Tony turned his parents' mansion into a high-security shelter for homeless and battered subs, Peppert suggested calling it Stark House. Tony declined. He hated to put his name on everything, especially considering his less-than-sterling reputation. Tony remembered. Isaac's subcommittee was still looking for an affordable, short-term facility for their current East Wing residents, but he was confident they could find something appropriate before they'd need to begin the renovations. All in all, things were going well. Isaac and his team had a lot to be proud of. In the elevator on the way up to the common room, Tony braced himself. Being summoned to a meeting with Rogers felt a lot like hearing Adam say, We need to talk. And those words never boded well. Tony was relieved to find the entire team assembled, sitting neatly around the formal dining table. Mr. Stark, Rogers said, rising to his feet. Thank you so much for making time. Sure thing, Tony said, and hurried into his seat before Rogers could pull it out for him. Ha! Victory, he thought. So, what's up? Well, as I think you know, Clint, no, sorry, Hawkeye, Black Widow, and I have been training in the gym you designed. It's been wonderful, but I think it's high time to get us all together in one place to train and talk about what we bring to the team. Bruce let out a self-deprecating snort. My vast financial resources, Tony suggested with a smirk. Rogers, no, Captain America, frowned at him very slightly. I was thinking more along the lines of aerial support. I've seen a little of your firepower, but wanted to ask, can Iron Man carry a teammate? Sure, Tony shrugged. I mean, I've carried people before on rescues. Good, the captain said. In the event of an incident, getting Hawkeye into a position above the battlefield will be crucial. We should practice aerial lifts. Roger that, Rogers, Tony said with a little salute. I have another question, the captain said. I've been thinking about your projections, and I was wondering, could you use them to make a... An illusory obstacle course with projected targets that could move? Like a virtual training ground? Tony asked. Sure, give me a little while and... yeah. Tony frowned in concentration, running some mental calculations. I could probably program it so you can design the modules yourselves, Captain. Well, with Jarvis to do all the actual coding. That's swell, the Captain said, looking very pleased. And I'd like Iron Man to join our sparring. We need to start learning each other's fighting style if we're going to coordinate in battle, learn each other's strengths and weaknesses. Tony nodded. At that point, Bruce, who'd been scowling for the last few minutes, cut in. Uh, Captain, I really don't think the other guy should be joining in. The captain nodded. If S.H.I.E.L.D.'s projections and your own are correct, it seems too soon, but the, uh, meditation thing you do? Could you try doing that while we spar, so you can get used to holding your calm while we're fighting? Bruce considered it. He looked skeptical, but after a few moments gave a little shrug. Sure, can't hurt, right? That's the spirit, the captain said encouragingly, then looked at the ceiling. Excuse me, Jarvis, could you project the chart I've been working on, please? Certainly, Captain. Jarvis put Roger's notes on the wall. The captain still wasn't typing. His chart was hand-drawn and handwritten with small, meticulous print. So, I've got lots of our weapon specializations and skill sets up there, but we should work on expanding it. Widow, would you like to go over your training? With pleasure. She gave them all a lethal smile. Well, this meeting certainly wasn't boring. Tony whipped up a set of virtual training models in no time, and then had Jarvis modify them so that he wouldn't know all the solutions. Genius. Duh, he thought. Their training gym was already a work of art, if Tony did say so himself, so no extra work required there. The ceilings were 25 feet high to allow Iron Man some maneuverability, and the place had just about everything a superpowered response team could want. Climbing walls, perches and ledges, trapdoors that could bring props up or fall out from under their feet, D-rings and ceiling for every manner of equipment. Rogers thought it was aces. I'm at 14, Tony crowed. What's your count, Legolas? Dude, seriously, when will you drop the Lord of the Rings thing? An arrow whizzed past Iron Man's sensors to hit the simulated baddie behind him. And you get that in this analogy, you're Gimli, right? The short, hairy dwarf? But hey, if that's how you want to roll, less chatter on the comms! Rogers barked. His shield ricocheted off the walls, took out five minions, and returned to his hand. Nice, Captain, Tony called. 
Someday Tony was going to study the physics of that shield. It really made no sense, Tony thought. Widow, status report? Roger said briskly, barely out of breath, the bastard. Nine down, no injuries, getting into position for a sneak attack against main target. Good. Hawkeye? They're swarming my perch, gonna need to relocate soon. There are more of them than I can- None shall defeat my spider warriors to spare puny mortals! Iron Man, can you get Hawkeye? A little busy with the main boss cap. Boss? Seriously? Clint exclaimed. I knew these were all modeled in World of Warcraft. Tony, you're such a- Hawkeye! Chatter! Sorry, dude. Iron Man, I'll cover you. Get Hawkeye to a new position in three, two, one. On it! Tony left the dragon to Rodgers and Romanoff for a while. Shit! Leap of faith, Hawk! Tony called, getting in position. Clint jumped from his ledge, just as it was overwhelmed with the giant of digital spiders. Tony caught his chest harness in one gauntlet and flew him across the gym to the next ledge. Yippee-ki-yay, motherfuckers! Clint got four shots off midair. The spiders let out mechanical shrieks as Jarvis cut their projections. Tony dropped Clint on another perch, then turned back to the dragon. No! This isn't possible! The dragon bellowed as the last of its spider minions collapsed. You shall know my rage! Fuck! Tony cried out. Seriously, Jarvis? You let it breathe fire? Tony checked the HUD. Damn, fire blast just grounded me. Cap, gotta land. Do you need cover? Nah, I'm good. Just lost fight capability, apparently. No injuries. And, Jarvis, we're gonna have words about letting the boss have a special ability it doesn't use until the end, cause seriously, if it can breathe fire, why didn't it lead off with that? Why do bad guys always chatter? No. The dragon roared, then shattered into little shards of light. Tony blinked. Natasha was hanging from one of the ceiling ropes where the dragon had been projected. I think I won that round, gentlemen, she said quietly, and slid down the rope to land gracefully on the floor. Well done, team, Roger said, beaming around the gym at them. Tony flipped the faceplate up and grinned. He hadn't had this much fun in... well, he actually couldn't remember the last time he'd had this much fun. Especially such wholesome fun, he thought. How'd you take the dragon out? Tony asked Natasha. I figured Jarvis had a soft spot for the hobbit, she shrugged. One hit, widow's bite to the patch in the hollow of his left breast, as bare as a snail out of its shell. Tony stared at her, eyes wide. Wow. That was... Wow, Tony thought. Well, she said with a little smirk, I'm gonna hit the showers. Coming, Nat, Clint called, because I'm not sure that killing the dragon automatically means you won that round the way I see it. Bruce gave Rogers and Tony a shaky wave and followed the ninjas out. His eyes were looking a bit green, but he seemed to be weathering their training pretty well, Tony thought. Good fight, Iron Man, Roger said seriously. Only Captain America could seem dignified in a spangly outfit like that. Likewise, Cap, Tony said, still grinning. Rogers grinned back. These training models you and Jarvis come up with are sure something, really something. Roger shook his head. I know that you designed all this, but sometimes it's hard to grasp. Roger's voice went a little soft. I mean, it's so hard to believe it can exist at all, let alone that I know the fellow who made it. Tony blinked. His heart sped a little and his cheeks felt slightly warm, and it was just the exertion of flying the suit. Contrary to popular opinion, it was quite physically demanding. Rogers cleared his throat and glanced away for a moment. Your aerial work with Clinton and Tosh is progressing really well. How did it feel to you? Tony shrugged. It looked weird when he did that in a suit, but he couldn't stop himself. Good, I guess. Though we should probably practice without the harness. We may not always have the luxury of suiting up. Rogers frowned. But if you're in the armor, won't we all be? My armor can bodycon in less than a minute right over my clothes, Tony said, not bothering to conceal his smugness. You guys actually need time to put on the Kevlar and whatnot. Besides, I'm working on something that will let me summon the suit anytime, anywhere. So we should probably run a few tests for catch and carry without the harnesses. Rogers nodded with a pensive frown. 
It may be better to phase those out if we can anyway. Having something for an opponent to grab hold of isn't a great idea if we can avoid it. Maybe we should work on catch and carry a bit, if you have time. My uniform doesn't have a harness, and I'm more likely to walk away from a bad fall than the others. Yeah, sure, Tony said. Sounds good. Rogers dotted almost eagerly then, and asked Tony what he thought the best approach would be. Tony flipped the faceplate down, beckoned Rogers closer, and showed him how he needed three limbs to steer properly. It took a little bit of brainstorming, but they eventually decided the best way to fly from a standstill would be for Cap to sling his arm over Tony's shoulders and sound on one of Tony's boots while Tony held his waist. It didn't look like a hug. Not really, Tony thought. Tony didn't believe in babying people, so he launched sudden and fast. He heard Cap exclaim, Oh! Then repeat, his tone odd. Oh. Oh, jeez. Tony laughed and did figure eights around the gym. How's maneuverability, Iron Man? Can you still fire your repulsors? One way to find out. Tony practiced sending stun beams for a few rounds. It was a little awkward, but hopefully he'd only have passengers briefly anyway. He picked up the pace a little and had Jarvis summon a few more projector villains to shoot at. Feeling pretty useless like this, Iron Man? Cap complained while Tony took out all the baddies. Here, I'm gonna jump. Tony released his grip and Rogers vaulted off to land squarely on what would have been the ogre's back. He made a stabbing motion with the shield, and Jarvis killed its lights. Hey Jarvis, Tony called. Surround the captain with zombies, would ya? Jarvis complied. Tony heard Rogers exclaim something that sounded like, ach, as a horde of zombies appeared out of nowhere and began ambling towards him. Want a hand there, Cap? Tony asked over the calm. I thought we might practice evacuations. Sounds good, Iron Man. These things are giving me the heebie-jeebies. Tony laughed. He couldn't come up with a good quip to tease Cap about heebie-jeebies, so he just said, I don't want to break your bones by flying in too fast. Tony watched with a certain wicked glee as Rogers took out the first row of zombies with a well-tossed shield, then realized he'd hardly made a dent. So, Tony said, I'll slow down and instead of grabbing you, I'll grab the shield. So get a good grip on it, Cap, one that won't break your arm. Uh-huh, Cap muttered, spinning nervously at the center of the zombies. Jump as high as you can and I'll catch the shield when you're ready. Okay, one, two, three! Rogers vaulted in the air, and Jarvis, who apparently had a certain dramatic flair, made the zombies swarm into the space Rogers had just left. Tony learned then that as high as he could jump was pretty damn high for Rogers. Luckily, it was easy to adjust Iron Man's flight pattern. Tony caught the shield smoothly, then pulled Rogers up into the side hold. Side hold, see? Not hug, Tony thought. So, Cap, how'd you like your first flight? Jarvis killed the zombies, and Tony touched down with Rogers still under his arm. The faceplate flipped up automatically on landing, so Tony heard with his own ears, Rogers breathless, That was amazing! His eyes were bright as he looked down at Tony, standing close with his arms still around Iron Man's shoulders. Amazing. And somehow, Tony didn't think Rogers was just talking about the suit, and... Shit, shit, shit! Don't blush, fuck, don't blush, Tony thought to himself. Tony flipped the faceplate down. Rogers looked startled. Go again? Tony asked through the modulator. Rogers grinned. Please. They took off. Excuse me, Mr. Stark, Rogers called out, voice loud enough to carry over Black Sabbath. Tony was tempted to let it keep playing. Rogers probably hated it, but Tony wasn't always a brat, so he called, Jarvis, volume 25%. What can I do for you, Cap? Tony asked, tearing his eyes away from the charts he'd been working on. Tony caught his breath. There he was, big, blonde, and beautiful, hovering on the threshold of Tony's lab, actually waiting to be invited in. He still waited for Tony's okay. Rogers' stance looked a bit like parade rest, hands behind his back, feet apart at the width of his ridiculously broad shoulders. Yeah, sure. Come on in, Cap, Tony said. He glanced away, then back. Thank you, Mr. Stark. And the captain smiled a gentle little smile, like being let into the workshop meant something, like it was special. He approached Tony's workbench, taking one hand from behind his back to present a white bag from La Fleur Patisserie. I was exploring the city this morning and getting reacquainted with it, and I stumbled across this bakery. I thought you might like these. Tony peeked inside the bag. 
Oh, hell yeah. Those eclairs looked good. You know, I'm a billionaire, right? Tony asked. Rogers cocked his head. You can't bribe me with baked goods, Tony added, pulling out an eclair and taking a huge, uncouth bite. Rogers smiled at him. Can't blame a fellow for trying. Tony snorted, amused despite himself. Well, Rogers said, rocking back a bit on his heels and putting his hands in his pockets. I thought you might have missed breakfast. He gave a little shrug. Tony paused in his second bite. So you brought me eclairs? I thought you'd bring a sub fruit and yogurt, or muesli. Rogers wrinkled his nose. Me? Nah. Thought we'd established I'm a pancake and bacon kind of guy. That's almost as bad for me as an eclair, but tastier than yogurt. Fair point. Tony took another bite, and Rogers just hovered for a few moments. Mr. Stark? Hmm? Would you have dinner with me? Uh, nope, Tony said around his mouthful of Claire. Answer still no, Cap. Rogers nodded. Again, he didn't look terribly disappointed. He gave Tony a little smile. All right, Mr. Stark, thank you for inviting me in. Tony shrugged. He took another bite of Claire and looked back over to the schematics. Is that Bob? Rogers asked softly. Yeah. You're still working on it? Yeah, Tony sighed. I hate that I can't figure it out, and sure, I don't have the full data, but I can't just not work on it, you know? Tony chewed on his lip. I mean, if it's a portal, anything could come pouring out of there, and we wouldn't know how to close it. Well, it, how do you say, it gives me the heebie-jeebies. I'm glad you're working on it, Roger said. If anyone could find a solution, it's you. From anyone else, it might have sounded like flattery. From Cap, it just sounded like an observation. Roger's tone was a little mournful as he added, I just wish there was something I could do to help. Tony's eyes had already been drifting back to the schematic when Roger's added, If there's anything I can do, Mr. Stark, anything at all, please let me know. Uh, Tony frowned. I can't think of anything. Rogers nodded. Yeah, I figured. He shook himself a little as though dispelling his melancholy. Well, the best way to help is probably just leave you to your work. He smiled at Tony, that soft, gentle smile. Good luck, Mr. Stark. He bowed, then walked away, seeming almost pleased. Tony turned back to his schematics. That guy was weird. Finally, at 2 a.m., Tony had closed up all the Bob schematics and called Pepper. To be fair, it was only 11 in California, he justified to himself. He missed her terribly. She was his touchstone, his true north, and all that other poetic stuff. So he called her to talk. But not really, he thought. They caught up on small things, worked a little on that fast-approaching fundraiser, agreed to go clubbing again when she visited. She'd taken up some new exercise regimen, and Tony listened patiently to her enthusiastic explanations for a while before he started to fidget, his attention wandering. Now it was something about art. I can't figure Rogers out! Tony eventually blurted out, rudely cutting off Pepper's description of the new Klimt exhibit at LACMA. Oh? Pepper said. She liked doing that, making an inquiring noise instead of asking a direct question. That way, you tell her whatever was most pressing on your mind. It was one of her active listening techniques, designed to encourage dialogue and not dominate discussion. Pepper took communication very seriously. This rendered her friendship with Tony all the more mysterious, he thought. Yeah. Tony left it at that, because he honestly didn't know what he wanted to tell Pepper, or what he'd been hoping she might say. He'd never actually told her that Rogers had asked him on a date, let alone that Rogers might be making a habit of it. There was a long pause. Have you two talked about Howard? Pepper eventually asked. No, Tony snorted. Hell no. Do you want to? No. Tony had enough trouble wrapping his head around Rogers without dragging dear old daddy into the equation. That would just mess with his calculations. What have you talked about? Stark Tech, Avengers, Tony shrugged. Star Wars, movies, food. Hmm. The silence lingered again. Tony wouldn't break first, even under Pep's communication voodoo. Silence. More silence. 
Have you considered the possibility that that might be the problem? Pep asked softly. What might? That that's all you talk about. I know I only met the guy for a few minutes, but maybe it would be good for both of you to talk, and not just about superficial stuff. Pepper's voice was gentle. Kind. He must be so lost in the 21st century. I can't imagine. Maybe you should talk about things you really care about with him. I care about Star Trek And the Avengers, and Star Wars. I know you do, Pepper said. He could tell from her voice that she was smiling. And you know what I mean. Yeah, Tony sighed. Pepper waited silently, but Tony couldn't make himself say it out loud. He was sick of trying to explain liberationism 101 to thick-skulled doms. It was exhausting, and usually pointless, since they either already got it, or wouldn't fucking listen. Talking had never been one of Tony's strengths. He'd never been all that good with words, and got frustrated and lost his temper too easily. Pepper let the silence linger longer. Tony fidgeted, free to squirm and toy with his cuff, since it wasn't a video call. If they talked about the important stuff, and Rogers disappointed him, if he turned out to be as big an orientationist asshole as Tony sometimes feared, then Tony couldn't just cut him out. Rogers would still be there, in his tower, his commanding officer, his captain. Tony swallowed heavily. He didn't want to admit that he'd rather fear the worst than know it for sure. Of course you're right, Pep, Tony said eventually, but without conviction. You always are. Don't be silly, Pepper said primly. I'm not always right. I'm only usually right. Tony smiled, and that moment he missed her so fiercely he thought he could feel it in his bones. Now then, she said briskly, you had a meeting with Isaac, didn't you? What's he planning for the renovations? Notes. I'm overwhelmed by your kindness and generosity. Your comments are like a big fluffy blanket of comfort and empathy. Thank you. This is Anship. Until next time.